morning. Glad you're here. I need to mention something real quick with, um, with the giving and the tithe. And part of my job is to, uh, to lead in all areas, the ones that are, that are fun, that bring a lot of joy, and then the ones that are necessary and needful. And um, with our tithe, was that you, son? What was the... Is it good? Appreciate that whole whole bunch. That was. <laughs> um, our tithe. Uh, you know, I never stand up and respond in a week by week type of a situation. Look at it and measure it over uh, months. But from January to the end of May, our tithe is down fifteen percent. Which fifteen percent doesn't sound a lot, but that's five hundred thousand dollars January to May. And at the same time that we're trying to raise money for our building, I don't know if you've noticed, I actually haven't talked about the fundraising for the building over the last 30 days. I've just backed off of it because if we have to choose one or the other, the tithe is how we operate on principle, and then the building is what we're raising beside the tithe. So it, there comes those times where I just need to say, hey, this is where we are. And I, as I say that, I know thoughts run this way. It's summertime. People travel in and out. Uh, there's a recession going on. Pastor, are you aware of that recession? Yes, I just paid almost 100 bucks for a tank of gas that I can't believe. Um, anybody else can't believe what you're paying for gas right now? Uh, and then all the products I'm buying are getting smaller as I, as I get them home. That's the most amazing uh, thing. And I realize that we just look around the world right now, and there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear. I don't let those things motivate what I say when I come up here, especially when we're talking about these things, but over a period of time, you have to look and you have to guide. And so I need to remind and I need to say, it's, don't be fearful if that's holding you back. The Lord's promise is that in times, good or bad, when we are faithful to do what he tells us to do with money, his blessing is there. And it's not contingent on the stock market. Okay, I, that may be the place that I need to try it's not contingent on the stock market, not contingent on interest rates, not contingent on inflation. It's not contingent on any of those things. God supersedes all of those things in the way that he operates and then puts the challenge of faith to us. And so I just want to remind you right now not to let those things, if that is influencing, and maybe it's just, hey, you know, pastor, uh, I'm not quite sure. Maybe I've just forgotten. Maybe I've been traveling. Just reminding, that's all that I'm doing. I, you know, whenever I have to stand up and say these things, I always pray that it doesn't come across in a harsh way, in a negative way. There's just not an easy way to say that. Like, if you were challenged to do the same thing, I can't raise prices on anything. I can't shrink packaging. You, you get it, right? There's, I can't tell everybody, hey, go out and sell more. It doesn't work that way. It's contingent on us all listening to God and then cooperating. So by the way, just so that you know and so that you understand, before I ever come to you, the very first place that I go to is Chris and I. Are we doing this? And I want you to know our, this is our financial business administration pastor. He could tell we, we give and we give faithfully. And then the staff, I always make sure I, I talk to the staff before I ever came to you and reminded them of this too, and then now to stand up and do this. And I don't want to belabor it or have to spend a lot of time with it, but folks, it's, those things fall on me too. And then when I look around the room, I see people like, Psst. how would you do it if you were me? Would you check it out and write a letter to everybody? 
or would you stand up and just say, hey, here's what we, we need to do and it's how we need to operate. So thank you for that. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you uh, for allowing us to do the things that we do. I mean that. Please pray about this. That's all that I'm asking and do whatever the Holy Spirit um, tells you to do. All right, let me change the subject, show you something that is fun and exciting. This is the latest video from our building. It's basically done at this point. We're walking through, um, coming into the foyer right here. You can see a few wires. Those will not be there uh, long term. Um, those are just right now how they're running power. The fireplace is right there. Behind it is the coffee bar. They haven't hung up the monitors yet for the menu. Uh, behind that is a commercial kitchen that's super cool. You can see that, uh, you know, the casework is done at this point. And uh, other than some touch-up paint and, and finishing some of the, uh, you know, the, the, the finished work, uh, these are the two garage doors that go from um, the foyer out. So there's going to be a big playground out there, places for people to sit. When the weather's nice, we'll be able to open those up and, you know, inside is outside. This is going back into the children's uh, area. This is the entrance into the foyer. It'll be much more secure than we've ever been and much larger than we've ever had the opportunity. So, for instance, instead of having to group together, you know, uh, two, three, four-year-olds together, each one has their individual. This is just what all the rooms look, look similar uh, in the children's church, but they have their own stage and the monitors, and they've already got the speakers up. And this is one of the bigger adult classrooms. To give you scale, that's a 90-inch TV that's hung on that wall right there. So it gives you scale of, of the size of it, and those will be used for multiple different things. In the sanctuary now, now that lighting is not what our lighting's gonna look like permanently, uh, but you're headed towards uh, the platform right there. The speakers have already been hung. The acoustical panels are on the ceiling. And if you look, you can see the can lights that are hanging down too. So basically, all of that is, uh, is done, it's up, and it's ready. And technically speaking, we could have met in there this weekend. Even though there's a few things not done yet, we could have pulled off a service. So why didn't we? What's going on? Okay. Um, at your house, the electrical panel, that's the panel you open up and has the breakers inside of it. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. A building this size has 12 of those panels. And because of um, those panels have little uh, chips in them that help run the circuits. And chips right now are hard to come by and electrical panels are even tougher. We have four of the 12. We're missing eight. And we're trying everything in the world to get our hands on those eight panels. Everything, so I, here's what I've heard. Uh, Putin did this. Um, <laughs> They're on a ship somewhere that can't get offloaded in the Pacific. They're stacked up on a rail car someplace. Uh, somebody stole them from our bag. I've heard it. I don't know what's what. The truth of the matter is I, I can't get a, a time on that. And because of that, I don't know what to tell you as far as when we're moving in the building. And I know that that sounds like, gosh, haven't you guys done your work on this? Yes over and over and over again, some things are out of the builder's control at this point, which puts them out of our control at this point. We're even trying to have them re-engineer it right now. The problem is you can't just go out and mix and match panels, what it's been engineered for and stamped for, right? The, the city gets your plans and they stamp your plans. You have to go by that. You can't just change that or you can't get uh, your certificate of occupancy. 
So what it means, I'll just give you the bottom line. There's no electricity to the building other than big generators that the, the builder has. And because there's no electricity to it, that means you cannot run security systems. You can't run fire systems. You don't have electricity going to parts of the building. You can't even get a temporary certificate of occupancy in a building without those things. So it's a major prayer point right now, right? We need those panels, and they're looking like crazy. Uh, one of the men in our church uh, owns a, uh, uh, an electrical company, um, and Jim has, he's, he's connected to 1,500 uh, electricians throughout the U.S., the word is out there. We've got so many people searching for these right now, but they can't get their hands on them. And that's the bottom line. So, Pastor, when? I honestly don't know when. And I know that puts us at a disadvantage. And what Daniel said a minute ago is that this is our last Sunday. So real quick, to explain that. So look at the floor real quick. Underneath this beautiful um, tarp, whatever you would call it, is a gymnasium floor. And this school has been so very good to us. One of the ways that has kept us in here, we were supposed to be in the building, and it's just been delayed, delayed. Um, one of the ways that has kept us in here a little bit longer, they're getting ready to redo the floor for the next school year, for all of the basketball and all of the things that will be played in here. And um, I, I, we asked them, what's the deductible on having the floor done? We paid the deductible in order to allow a little more time inside of here, but they begin to work on it this week, and honestly, they don't want a church meeting on the new floor, and I don't, I don't blame them for that. They're going to spend, I, it's a lot of money that they're about to spend on the floor, and they've been very good to us, so this is our last weekend in here. We'll do the picnic next weekend. Where are we going to be the next weekend? Uh, stay tuned, and I will <laughs> let you know. Like, so haven't you been working on that? So just extrapolate this for just a second. Because I don't know when the panels are coming in, to rent something, the first thing that they want to know is how long do you need it? They want you to sign a contract. Do I need it for a week? Do I need it for two months? I can't, I don't have anything to go with right now. So I don't know what that's going to be. Everybody is working as hard as they can. I'm embarrassed to stand up here and say this in front of you. It sounds like we're flying by the seat of our pants. I promise you, we've worked diligently every day everybody's performed on everything that they can do some things right now are just simply out of our hands the supply chain is definitely a part it is real and I, I can't do anything you get it yeah. okay if you have any questions about it uh, Pastor Melson said he'd be happy to answer any question <laughs> that, you, that you possibly could have we all of us actually would be happy to discuss I, I had several people after the first service Say, hey, I've got connections uh, with electrical companies. Um, with, absolutely, let us know. We have people all over the country literally looking. I've called everybody that I know uh, that's a part of it, people in the church that are connected, as I've said. We're looking at, if you feel like you might have a lead on something, please, we, we would be happy to have that information, and we will follow up on it. We're looking as hard as we can. I hope by next week uh, to be able to say to you, Here's when we'll be in the building. If I can't say that, I will say to you next week, here's where we'll be meeting until we're in the building. Okay? It's fair enough? Okay. I, you don't know how much it 
hurts my stomach to have to stand up here. It doesn't look like it, but I have lost 12 pounds in the last two weeks. Uh, just not able to eat, you know. It's just tearing my stomach up right now. So, uh, <laughs> okay. Is there something else? The furniture. Thank you, Kathy. Here's a good, thank you for giving me good, good information. Um, so Chris helped pull this off this week. To the south of the building, if you've ever, if you've gone over there and you've looked at the building, to the south of the building is a four or five story uh, mirror, kind of like it's, it's mirrorized, all the, the and, and there's no sign on it. You're not quite sure what it is. Okay, it turns out it's a defense contractor that's connected to the next moon. There's going to be another moon landing coming up. And this defense contractor is part of that. So it's kind of a, of a secret deal. So, um, they are, yeah, I just gave up the secret. Uh, <laughs> they may be on the moon before we're in the building to be, I know, that's it. Um, so, here's the deal. Um, they had just bought all new furniture for all five stories of that, and then they decided that they're going to condense their offices. So, literally, here's your tax dollars hard at work. They decided to get rid of all the furniture, and they're just giving it away. But they walked across the street first and said, hey, you're a church. Would you be interested in any of this stuff? Well, Chris was just getting ready to start all the ordering for desks, and chairs, and you know, there's commercial refrigerators. I mean, it, it's, it's unbelievable. They gave it all uh, to us. Um, now, it would have been fantastic to walk it across the street and put it in the building. We had to rent another storage space right now that we put it in. So, so what's it worth? Here's the thing with, you know, furniture is like a car. You, as soon as you, you buy it, it depreciates so quickly. So I could give you like a really high inflated retail price, but I don't think that's fair. What uh, Pastor Daniel and Pastor Jake did was look online. What's it selling for used now? But I mean, literally, it's just a couple of months old, uh, most of it. Um, it's their, their quick addition was over $300,000 uh, worth of, so that saves us on the purchase of stuff that we would have had to, to do. And so we thank the Lord for that. We're happy for that, excited for that. Thank you for reminding me to, to talk about that. Um, I think that's enough commercials. Let's, uh, let's jump into this. We're going to finish up today uh, this series on 2 Timothy. So we're in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 5. Let me just real quickly... Um, put context to this. Timothy is a young pastor. He's a protege of Paul. Uh, since he was a young man, um, Paul's had a chance to help shape him uh, as a believer. And then when Paul recognized a call that was on his life, he began to train him as a pastor. So in the middle of uh, a culture that is not only unaware, so there, there's not other churches. This is the only church. Now, there's pagan places of worship, but there's no Christian church. This is the first Christian church in this area. So not only if people unaware when, they, when they're talking about gathering for worship, they've never heard the name Jesus, many of them. And Paul's visited this place three different times. It's part of how Timothy and his family came to the Lord. And he's established this church. And it's a young church in the middle of a pagan culture a culture that's not always open to the gospel. And he's charged this young man with how to pastor this church. And so the instructions that he's giving him right here, he's giving him instructions on how to pastor a church in a culture that's not necessarily excited about his church being there. 
and he gives them a charge. Now, here's what's really interesting. When, um, when I got my ordination, what they did is that a group of, um, of leaders and pastors had gathered around all of the ordination candidates who had completed a certain level of education and a certain level of, of um, you know, responsibility. And, and they, they recognized after a certain amount of time, okay, you're, you're called to this. It's not just a passing fad. And so your ordination is when they lay hands on you and then they charge you. And the charge is sort of like um, we're commissioning you. We're giving you this responsibility. You're taking on this burden. And sometimes we think like burden and Christianity, those two things don't go together. I don't mean burden in the sense that this is something that I don't want to do, but there's a responsibility with being a believer and with being a pastor. Do you agree with that? It's a responsibility to it. It's not always fun. So that's what this is going on uh, in this particular scripture. Now, the reason I picked this to share, I think it'll give you a little bit of a mindset of where when I prepare a message, when I preach, when, when I seem to be so intense, when I preach really hard, when I'm really passionate about, why do I feel that way? Why not just stand up here and deliver a speech? Why not, why not reserve energy, right? Why not? People used to tell me when I was a young pastor, when you get older, you won't always have that energy to give away. I almost made that a challenge. Like when I preach, give everything, never mail it in. I'm not up here delivering a speech. I'm giving you the heart of the God. It's God's heart that I'm trying to share. And I'm passionate about that, right? It motivates me still. It, it gets me excited. It also, it's, a, it's like a challenge. And that's, that's sort of what is going on right here. So I want to deliver it to you with an understanding. Here's what's going on in my head when I prepare a speech, when I lead our church. But it's also a challenge to believers in the culture that they're living in. Here's what it means to be a Christian. Here's what it means to live in this culture. Here's what it means. Here's what we have to do. To, to, we're not just in it for the fun. We're in it because we're committed. Committed people is a good thing. Committed people is a good thing. Like if you're like, I don't know, then don't get married. Okay, so 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 5, uh, Paul writes, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Uh, that is a heavy sentence right there. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing. Preach the word emphatically. Don't preach opinion. Don't preach culture. Don't preach stuff that you read in a book someplace that is sort of self-help or a nice idea. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Look at this. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they... Now, interesting, they. Who's they? So this is not being written to a pastor who is just up talking to anybody this is a pastor who's talking to believers the they are believers you see that from context so pay attention so the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires because they have itching ears they will heap for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from truth and be turned aside to fables fables is not mother goose fables are things that simply aren't true we live in a day where everybody's presenting a version of truth. Just by definition, not everything can be true. There has to be truth. And if you're like, what is truth? That's what Pontius Pilate said. Don't line yourself up with Pontius Pilate. Line yourself up with what the Bible says. 
So they will heap for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Nobody ever says amen when I read that out loud. That's not fun, is it? Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. It matters. It's important. It's not optional. There's a lot of things I could teach in those five verses right there, but it's like there's just three things I picked out. If you're taking the notes and you want to fill in the blank, the first one is just simply the charge. So let me just talk about what a charge is. Uh, every wedding that I do, uh, there's a part technically called the charge. And it used to be that uh, when a person got married, you were charging them with the seriousness of the responsibility that they're taking. So no one's being forced. Hopefully no one's being forced when they get married. They're both entering into it freely and because they want to do it. And there's a seriousness and a responsibility that goes with that, right? We're choosing each other. We're committed to each other. Ups, downs, good, bad. We're with each other. And that matters. It's important. And so we charge people with the seriousness of it. Now, we live in a day when people are very unserious about that. They say the words, it's like the word love. We throw love out for everything. I love pizza. I love my car. I love my wife. Hopefully you don't love all three the exact same way. Or pizza more than. I mean, we use that word interchangeably for a lot of different things. So that we use the idea of a commitment kind of inner... It's, yeah, I'm committed until. I'm committed but. I'm committed, are you? I will if you will. So really, the seriousness of this is I'm committed. You can trust that. How good is it to trust in somebody's word? We live in a day where that's a tough thing. People give their word without really meaning that I'm giving my word. And that's what's being done right here. I charge you. You're doing this of your own free will, but there's a responsibility. Somehow we live in a day where fun has been connected to the gospel. And certainly it can be fun to serve Jesus. And he blesses us. And there's a lot of joy in it. But it's not always the word afflictions isn't fun. So we're living in a time where it's becoming more and more difficult to stand up and to say this is what the Bible says versus what the culture says. So 20 years ago, it was just simply, this is your opinion, this is the Bible. But now, opinion has been elevated as truth and the Bible has been lowered so that when you say it, you're almost an idiot for believing that above culture. Do anybody else feel that pressure today? And it's been easy kind of like just to keep your mouth shut or to look the other way. But I think we're living in a day and a time where it's going to get tougher and tougher. If you believe it, it's going to be a little more costly to believe it. Yep. Or you're going to have to deny your beliefs. That's the charge. No matter what, you said yes. No matter what, you committed yourself. Yeah, but it's not very fun. I know, but will you be faithful? Faithful. I was watching a... Um, a commencement address, Mike, you'll get a kick out of this, it was a, uh, the president of Boston College, which is a Catholic university. And he went to speak at a Jesuit university in Ohio and did the commencement address. And I found it on YouTube. Here's what it was called. The 10 lies that every commencement speaker tells you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. And it was all the things. You, and, the, you know, the truth of the matter is they all sound great, too. You know, you're special. You can change the world by yourself. 
was all of these, you know, like hopeful, nice sounding things. But are they truthful? And then he said this, and it just, it was so good. I had to back it up, listen to it again, and then I wrote it down. And he said, here's the truth. God did not put you in this world to be successful. Which tell me every commencement address has to do with that right there. God did not put you in this world to be successful. He put you in this world to be faithful. So let's think about this. Well done, good and successful servant. Some of you are like, where's that scripture at? What? I do those scriptures on my wall. I need to put that on my wall where my kids walk in. Well done, good and successful. Where am I blowing it? How does the scripture go? Well done, good and faithful servant. So what is faithful? Faithful is what you do when it's not fun. Faithful is what you do when it gets hard. Faithful is what you do when other people disagree with you. Faithful is what you do because you gave your word. Thank you for shouting me down right now. I appreciate the, the total encouragement that I've Faithful is what the gospel is built on. Jesus promises, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And we trust that because he is faithful. Are you worried I'm coming down that? I see you moving. <laughs> I'll just stand in front of you, Marcy. And just faithful. <laughs> Marcy serves on our staff. Let me just tell you something that was so encouraging to me. I had to send a letter to the staff on the tithe, and the first one I got back was from Marcy within just a few minutes. Pastor, you're right. Remind the staff how faithful God is and how God in the midst of everything else that goes crazy around us promises us that his word won't return void. I drew such encouragement from that. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you. Do you know how much joy we draw from faithful people? The world needs faithful people. We live in a day where it's easy to talk but not act on that. To say one thing and do another. And it seems like there's no problem with it. And then we get challenged. It's like a baseline thing to be faithful. But because the bar is so low in the world, when I even talk, it seems like it's so high. And it's a, to be faithful is baseline. We build our life on faithful. You build your marriage on faithful. You raise your children on faithful. You do your finances on faithful. Faithful's not this high. Faithful's... And yet the world is so low. That seems like such a high bar to call people to be faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. The ultimate words of promotion have to be well done. Good and faithful servant. That's the charge. The charge means to entrust. It means you have a responsibility. It means that you have to care, that you have to protect, that you have an assignment. Here's one of the words for the charge. You have an obligation. Somehow that's become a dirty word to us. An obligation? I don't want it to be imposed on. I don't want an obligation. You cannot build anything without having an obligation. It is not a burden to have an obligation. It's an honor to be obligated to something. I'm obligated to you. 
I'm obligated, regardless of what's going on, to stand up here and in my heart say, no matter what it feels like on the outside, God is faithful. I don't know where we're going to be in two weeks. God knows. (laughs) And it sounds so like crazy because I'm a plotter and a planner. I don't like flying by the seat of my pants. But right now it's like the Lord said, well, we're going to do faithful. (laughs) No, I don't want to do faithful. I want to do new building. (laughs) Do you want to know what the real challenge is? To be faithful to my call. To live it out in front of you. One of the things that people like about me is that I'll be real. I'll tell you what's really going on. I won't hide it. I won't polish it or shine it or make it something else. I'm struggling right now. I feel embarrassed right now. So in the first service, man, it just I felt like I was so dreading coming in and having to say the things that I had to say this morning. There's a chair back there. I'm sitting in the chair, feeling bad for myself. Anybody else ever? Three of us have felt bad for ourselves. The rest of you are charged with encouraging the three of us through life. <laughs> so I'm feeling bad. And it's during worship, and Katie, my Katie, walks back there. Amy and Katie both have, both of my girls, have a prophetic anointing and unction on them and Amy when I sent her my notes she wrote back to me dad I feel the wave what what was the blast of the Holy Spirit with this I didn't I just felt I have to be faithful and I was just sitting there Katie walked back and she just goes 95 pound Katie to her dad You are carrying a burden that God did not intend for you to carry. This is not your fault. Nobody's hanging it on your shoulders. You're hanging it on your shoulders. Now God says, stop. (laughs) And I'm like, no. (laughs) By the way, the beard. What happened to the beard? I grew the beard from the time we were moving out. Brent, from the time we were moving out of the other building, I was keeping on until we moved into the new building. And because all this rigmarole, I was just so mad. I got up and just shaved it all up. Like, Argh! I don't even want to look at it anymore. I'll be faithful, but I'm not wearing this beard. <laughs> now I miss my beard. Because I threw a fit. Anybody ever thrown a fit? Please tell me somebody else has thrown a fit. You know what's really strange? How can we lay, listen to If you've ever experienced the faithfulness of God, okay, let me back up. How many of you have experienced the faithfulness of God in your life? Let's be honest. Every hand should be up. Unless you're here seeking and you don't know God, and that's cool. I give you that. Glad you're here. But if we've experienced the faithfulness of God, we are forever without excuse to charge God with unfaithfulness. Did you just hear what I said? If you've experienced the faithfulness of God, you're forever without excuse to charge God with unfaith because he's been faithful. But why is it so easy to charge him with unfaithfulness when it's not going the way that we want it to go? When it gets dip, when it's affliction. We've got to remind ourselves constantly of his faithfulness because everything else around us tells us about how unfaithful everything is. It just seems like Everything's just, do you know the word says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken? And here's the reason. 
so that what can't be shaken remains. So that when things shake, we're like, why is these things shaking? Because it's to remind us there's only one thing you can really put your hope and trust in. And everything else that we trust and we hope and we think, oh, this is solid and it's going to go on forever. And then suddenly, surprise, we shouldn't be surprised. I told this story. It, it's, it's a little disconnected, but let me get there and then you'll see how it's connected. Years and years ago, uh, our first position in ministry, we were youth pastors. And we had worked so hard to get there. I worked for working pest control. I climbed up underneath houses in Louisiana. They're built off the ground because the water table is so low. Can you imagine you're below the water table and you climb up underneath the house? Do you imagine what lives underneath those houses? Dude, I hate bugs. I hate, I hate spiders. I detest snakes. I don't like roaches in any way, shape, or form. And that's where they like to live. And my job was to go up underneath there and find them. And I did that to get myself through Bible college and to support my two children and my wife. And I did it gladly. I, I would, it would freak me out. To, it scared me is what it was. But I did it because I knew what the goal was in mind. You ever been there? I knew why I was doing what I was doing. So my first full-time position, when we finally got there, they paid us $24,000 a year. $2,000 a month. And I'd pay for my own insurance out of that. I mean, imagine. And that wasn't back in 1890 where 24000 went <laughs> a long, long way. It was just in the mid-80s. 87 and 88. 24000 was not a lot of money, especially when you had a family. And we had an 86 Honda Civic. If you can remember what that car looked like. And there were five of us in an 86 Honda Civic. We'd put the car seat, Katie's car seat, in the middle of the back, Amy on one side, Brent on the other side, Chris and I in the front. Off we'd go. We were just happy. Didn't know any better. No, we did, but we were happy. And we needed another car, but I couldn't afford one. And rather than give in to the pressure of just going out, there was a guy in our church who was a mechanic. His name was Peanuts. Peanuts. <laughs> Peanuts Clark. Peanuts took mercy on me and gave me, it was a 72 or a 73 Pontiac Le Mans. And it went from here to that back wall. Right there. You think I'm kidding. That, that car was fair. And the windows wouldn't, it was, remember these? When I do this, how many of you know what I'm, I'm not rowing a boat. This is how the windows went up and down, right? The windows wouldn't go all the way up. And, and at this time, we're living in Kentucky. And the, the, it would rain. And the, the rain would come in the car. So when I would accelerate, all the water would go to the back of the car. And when I put the brakes on, all the water would come to the front of the car. And if you went over 45 or 50, the steering wheel would just... Does anybody ever have a car... Are you all so wealthy that you don't know what I'm talking about right now? Look, you're like, uh, you know what, you're what a redneck. <laughs> yes, I was a poor redneck. Yes. <laughs> and so I'm driving. There was this belt road that went around Lexington. I'm out driving on that road one day. Can't go very fast. Steering wheel. I'm trying to keep it from shaking, right? Water in it. Just 
you know, but I'm, I'm a youth pastor. Yay. And right then, that's when BMWs were super duper popular, right? And this Beamer came up behind me. If you have a BMW, I don't judge you. I wished I had the BMW, okay? Come up behind me flying. Didn't, I mean, got right on my tail and then zip, zip, zip. And honked his horn when he went by like I was in his way. And I just had murder in my heart. Man, I'm like, I hope he stops at the gas station. I just, you know. About half a mile later, a cop had pulled him over to the side of the road. So when I went by, I honked the horn. (laughs) Okay. Like, why are you telling us this story? All right, listen real quick. In a way, that's how the economy is. Like it's zipping along and you're living at a level where you think it's all just going to keep going, keep going. And then suddenly something happens and you get pulled to the side and you realize, hmm, maybe this isn't so great. And then if you made good decisions or better decisions or more responsible decisions, maybe that's a better way to say it, you keep going when everybody else gets pulled to the side. We're kind of living in a time right now where suddenly things get pulled to the side like, hey, Have I made good decisions? And this isn't to shame. Jesus took all, all shame on himself, on the cross, so that you don't have to carry any shame. There's no condemnation. I'm just making a point that from time to time, suddenly, hey, have we been as faithful as we should have been with what's been put into our hands? That message doesn't make sense when everything's going really easy and it's just more, more, more. But every once in a while, there's an adjustment. How many of you have lived long enough to have an adjustment two or three times? <laughs> yes, thank you. They happen. And now you've got to be faithful. You've got to change things. So you can keep going. Faithful's not always glamorous, it's not always shiny, it's not always new, it's not always exciting, but faithful lets you keep going. Faithful doesn't get pulled to the side. Faithful allows you to keep moving forward in life. Faithful is good. Be faithful. Faithful to your spouse, faithful to your children. Faithful to Jesus? Faithful to Jesus? Faithful to Jesus? Can I say it? Faithful to your church? Is that okay to say? Oh, 08, I think, was the last time, 08 and 09, when the economy kind of jerked real suddenly. And I remember... We had all the campuses. If you've been here long enough, you'll remember that. We had a lot of staff. And all of a sudden, the economy got jerked real hard, and I was overextended. It was the bottom line. And I had to do some layoffs in that time. It was the only time ever in the history of 24 years we had to lay people off, and it was horrible. And I lost friends during that time. You talk about a stomach that was hurting. There was no way to glamorize that, and I had to stand up in front of the whole church and say it. It was, ugh. It was yuck. Most people rode that out with me, but I walked out that day. We were at the Lone Tree Building. I walked out the back, and I was headed to my car, and a lady was on the sidewalk across me. She said, Pastor, I'm, I'm not coming to Jubilee anymore. And I'm like, why? And she said, I just don't want to go through this hard time. 
Explain that. I don't want to have to go through anything hard. I don't want to have to do difficult. I don't want... I just want it to be fun. How do you build something if it always has to be fun? For those who are married, is it always fun? I know you're scared to raise your hand like, yeah, it's always, it's always fun. I don't know who you married, but she's always fun. Uh Uh-huh. Chickens. Scaredy. Not one person. One person in the back. Jason, was it you? It was you, Jason. Yes. Pre. Yes. We're in a small group together, and he can't lie. Uh, It's just not all, it's good. But it's just not always fun. No, it is for me, but not for Chris sometimes. It's just not, not always fun. You can't build. You can't trust. That's why God tells us, in this world you'll have trouble, but fear not. I've overcome the world. Now, that's not the steady diet that we want to hear every time, but life does contain times where it's raising kids. Dude, it's the greatest thing that can happen to two people, and it can also be the toughest thing at times that can happen to two people. It's not always fun. It's worth it. And after they become adults, you'll look back and go, I can't believe how fast it went. Somebody described it to me one time. It's long days, but a short season. And it's long days, but it really is a short season. It just goes by so fast. But it's just not always fun. And believe it or not, when they're little, it's not the most difficult time of being a parent when they become adults. And then you can't change things in 30 minutes. And you can't stop things. All you can do is be faithful. I'll be here for you no matter what. Faithful? What's faithful worth, Art? What's it worth? Put a price on faithful. I can tell you what unfaithful. It's the most costly thing in the world. Faithful. So I charge you. Before Jesus and before God, be faithful. He will judge the living and the dead at his return. Be faithful. You will never regret being faithful. You will never say, Pastor, why did you tell me to be faithful? You will never say, John, you wasted my time by telling me to be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful to Jesus. Be faithful. Be faithful when you're young. I'm trying to think, who would I say be faithful when you're old? But I don't want (laughs) to. Let me see. (laughs) Be faithful. Let's... uh, Let's move on here. Preach the word. John 1.1. Check out this cool scripture. I love this. It's like uh, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was what? And the word was with God and the word. So Jesus is the word. And the Bible says that things that are seen and things that aren't seen are held together by the word. You believe that over 3,000 years ago, God was describing the atomic level to people who had no way to know about. Things that are seen and unseen. It actually says the things that are unseen hold together the things that are seen. There was no electron microscope. No ability to know about DNA. No 
ability to understand a subatomic level, and yet here God, and so here's what we think. God, if you would just explain, like Genesis, how are we to take that literally? Because Genesis is not an explanation, it's a proclamation. Did you just hear what I said? It's not an explanation, it's a proclamation. And we think, if you'll explain all of that, then we can understand all of that. He tells us to love each other. And we have trouble doing that. Now explain the infinite to the finite. You have a beginning, you have an end. God doesn't have a beginning, he doesn't have an end. You know where you came from? Tell me where God came from. What's the, what, what happens? The finite can never fully explain the infinite. If it could, then it was a man who wrote it down. Did I, mm-hmm. Do you understand what I just said? The reason you can't explain it fully is because it wasn't written in human understanding only. It was written from an f- infinite perspective. God who always was. Who is and will be. But pastor, I don't understand it. I know. But will you be faithful to it? Now we live in a day where people, I like John 3.16, God so loved the world, but I do not like that God created in seven days everything that we see. It's just impossible for a human. What is impossible with man is possible. Pastor, come on. Not only are you a redneck, you're a caveman at the same time. You backward. Did you really believe that? Every word of it. How can you do that? Because if you're going to start picking and choosing what part, take away anything from it, what makes you think your part's true then? Use logic. We're saved by His grace through faith. Love that part. Yes? But Noah built an ark. I don't get that part. Is that an allegory? I hope it's not an allegory that we're saved by grace through faith. Never mind. You know where it says to to convince and rebuke and exhort and encourage? I'm trying to do that and I'm pressing too far. So let's just go. Here's the main thing. I wrote a message many, many years ago. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's really deep, isn't it? That sounds easy. In the day we live in, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. That's the hardest thing that I do now as a pastor. It's not leading the church. It's not building a building. It's not motivating a staff. It's not preaching the truth. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main You know, there are so many competing voices, ideas, and thoughts. And truth anymore is relative for so many people that that's your truth. That's not my truth. By definition, it can't all be true. I don't... Oh. <laughs> How do I want to do this? We're already seven minutes in deficit, and Chris always tells me, don't pay attention to that. Uh, she's right, but I, it bothers me. Okay, look, creation, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So for me, for me, the pastor, that settles the issue. Now, if you're like, Pastor, come on. That's the Old Testament. Jesus 
pulled from the Old Testament creation 27 times in the New Testament. 27 times. If Jesus believed it, shouldn't you? If you're a Christ follower and Jesus believed it, shouldn't you? That solves it for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So this is what God says about just living your life with sin. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who have sex with men, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And most pastors stop there and then just hammer, 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 hammer talking about sin. This is the part of the verse that means more than anything. And that is what some of you But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God is setting free people who are in darkness, people who can't see, people who can't hear, people who have been misled, people who are deceived. God is still setting those people free. That's why we cannot soften this message because people cannot be free if we don't preach freedom. If we preach it's okay to be stuck, then we're telling everybody it's okay to live in a stuck position. No! It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to live the rest of your life that way. It's okay to walk in here and not be okay. It's okay to walk in here and be confused. It's okay to walk in here and go, Pastor, I'm trying to figure this out. Good for you. Good for you. I bless you. So let me mold you, young Jedi. This is what truth is. Jesus is truth. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. That's his own testimony. I'm the way, I'm the truth. I'm not a truth. I'm not a path. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And no man comes to the Father unless they come through me. So there's not many paths that lead to God according to Jesus. How negative of him. How harsh. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's go, let's go. Um, Jeremiah 1.5. So what am I showing you? Like if the scripture says this, this then settles the issue. So this is where I preach from. Not what everybody in culture is thinking Here's what the Bible says, then the message, not the message and then the Bible. So, like life, for me, the sanctity of life comes from scriptures like this. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Where was this person before they were in the womb? Like, uh, they were carbon floating around in space. No, no. Apparently, there was something before we knew. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you prophet to the nation. So to me, this is saying that even before the cells come together, God has ordained life to be precious and special. That's what I see. You go, well, I don't see that. Well, you're not interpreting that the right way. Okay, now, if you can agree with me on those three scriptures, like creation, sin, life, so this is what the Bible says, and so then comes our message, not here's culture, and then let's see what the Bible says, what the Bible says, and then here's the message to culture. So if you can agree on those three things, then let me, politics, 
So let me just say this real quickly, right? So a week does not go by where somebody doesn't write and say, I wish you would take a, a stronger stance on politics. I get it. I really do. But also in the same week, I'll have people who say, why do you always talk about politics? <laughs> so I'm in this like funky in-between place, and, and I'm trying to formulate this with what as a pastor I'm charged to do. So what does the Bible say here? And where do I line myself up? And then I had the most interesting thing happen in the last two weeks. One of the most conservative people that goes to our church, and that is saying a lot. Never mind. <laughs> Very conservative man. He's very opinionated about what he believes, and he knows his facts. It's not just some guy that he knows his facts. And he is extremely conservative, and I'm hanging out with him. And he's just like, he makes some statements about the current government, and I can't disagree with what he's saying. But then he says this to me, but you know what I've learned from you? That if that's where we try to get our life from, all we find is death. He said, Pastor, I've learned that from you. That politics, they're important. Ask Germany in 1938 whether or not laws matter. Laws matter. Morality is important. And if you don't believe so, you are going to raise your children in a world that morality has just become, hey, whatever we think. You don't want your children being raised in that world right there. They're going to pay a higher price than you're going to pay. This is important. So I get it. I really do get it. But here's what the guy says. I've tried for so many years to find life from that, and all it produces is death, no matter who. Only Jesus produces life. Boom. I got one. Then the most amazing thing happens. A guy writes, and he says, I, no, I'm sorry, lady writes, and says, I wish for years that you would get out there more on politics, that you'd take a stronger stance. But she said, my husband is not conservative like I am. So you have a conservative that married a liberal. Can you imagine? How can that, how can a person who doesn't vote the way I vote, how can I love this person? Listen to me for just a moment. And he's not a believer. And she said, so... I brought him to church, and he heard the message, and he gave his heart to Jesus. She said, Pastor, please don't preach politics. (laughs) Now, I think politics are important. Good laws matter. Morality allows for us to live in a good environment, and it matters. But I'll trade politics for salvation any day. Any day. I'm not called... To preach a political line, I am called to preach Jesus and to represent salvation and to give an opportunity for people. And if you get that, I love it. And if you don't, pray for me. Please, pray for me. Pray God opens my eyes. Pray he shows me what you see. But, you know, I'm praying that you see what I see. So now we've got the immovable object and the unstoppable force. And I have the microphone. <laughs> and I get I really do get it and I know some of you just think ah, you're just saying that like it, it allows you to feel good about I <laughs> preach the word 
Did I just read it to you? Preach the word. Not preach a political statement, a political thought, a political... And it's important, but it's not more important than the word. Do you agree with that? Like, I can't change it if you disagree, but I want you to agree. Okay, the last one is just simply fulfill your ministry. Uh, <clears throat> this is our last weekend in here. So I, I'm going to take the full amount of time allotted in the... <laughs> so Luke chapter... When I was 15, if you've been here, I've told the story. Forgive me if you feel it's redundant. It just... Like, this is what happened to me. This is real. This isn't polish. This isn't presentation. This isn't sculpting. This is, this is, this is it. I'm 15. And at 15, I have this thought, why am I here? What am I doing? Why, why do I exist on this earth? And I know that that is, <laughs> for a 15-year-old, to think, and I, I wasn't like that kind of a 15-year-old. I was 15. But I had this thought, why are you here? And I asked God. And I found a Bible. And played Bible roulette. And I don't think that's the way to study the Bible, but I do think God can do things if you ask him questions. Who am I? Why am I? What am I? And I asked the question, why am I here? Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to set at liberty the captive, to open blinded eyes, to preach the acceptable year of God's favor. Jesus is saying this the very first time he ministers in the synagogue. They hand him a scroll. He opens it up to Isaiah 61. So Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, is actually written in Isaiah 61. Listen to me very carefully. When Isaiah wrote that, he's actually referring to Leviticus 25, the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was that in the 49th year, wherever you were in the world, you went back to your family. Any debt that you have was forgiven. How many of you would love that with Visa right now? <laughs> and the promise was the land to the Jews. And if they had sold their land or their land had been taken away, they got their inheritance back. The land came back to them. Those three things were true for Jubilee. So Leviticus 29, the year of Jubilee is quoted in Isaiah 61 by Jesus in Luke 4. Are you staying with me? Yeah. And then I read it 2,000 years later. And what makes this book different than any other book is that it's active and alive through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit speaks to a 15-year-old kid, I've called you to preach. That was not cool when you're 15. That was not cool. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a pilot. I'm going to be a preacher. Nobody thought that was great. I was embarrassed about that, but it's who I was. And the name Jubilee. When I was 15, God brought back the year of Jubilee, which is to pronounce his favor upon his people. Jesus is the proof that his favor doesn't happen once every 50 years, but we live in the eternal time of God's favor and his promises on our life through Jesus. That is the good news. That is the message of the gospel. That supersedes everything else going on in culture. You are chosen. You are anointed. You are handpicked. God loves you. He's moving in your life today. If you knew what was coming right in front of you, you wouldn't even consider giving up right now.
You think, oh, this is where he gets intense. Do it. (laughs) With all authority, correct, encourage, rebuke, push, cajole, draw. But let people know it's true. This isn't some polished shape message. This is the gospel. This good for young and old. And it was good 2,000 years ago. It was good 4,000 years ago. And it's good right now, man. And it's so powerful in the world we live in that we are not subject to the ups and downs of interest rates and the stock market or who's in office or what's going to happen in November. We are subject to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who lives forever and ever and ever and has called you into his dominion. You are clean. You are washed. You are empowered. This is who we are. Quit listening to every other lie. Shut everything else off. Even if they say you're closed, sometimes you need to close your mind from crap. (laughs) Welcome to Jubilee. (laughs) You do. It doesn't make you closed-minded. It makes you smart. You don't just eat everything. Consume what God said. Forgive me for saying crap. Sorry. I I know that's not pulpit language, but we're in a school. So, so... Forgive me for saying it in front of your children. I apologize. I know that's not. Stupid pastor. Okay. (laughs) So what do we do with it at the end of it? I don't want you to leave here under the influence of the world and under the influence of culture or stock market or politics. I want you to leave here under the flag of the lion of the tribe of Judah. You are who God said you are. You can do what God said you can do. This is the day and this is the time. And our best days are in front of us, not behind us. And I mean that. I mean that. And if you knew how close they were, then you wouldn't even consider giving up. You wouldn't consider turning away. You wouldn't consider being unfaithful. You would not consider exchanging this truth for anything else. Our best days are in front of us. I'm not even speaking as a church right now. Speaking you, 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 you. You called before God. Your best days are in front of you. They're not behind you. You should hold on to that truth. You should live by that truth. You should live by that right now. Yes. What's your name? Evan. Evan. Good name. All right. Lord, love you. Church, you know why your, your heads are bowed? This is cathartic for me too. Like for me to just preach truth when the cares of this life and the burden of the world and all of the things that I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to control And they're out of my control. And then I get so frustrated about that. And I'm like, God, come on. And God's like, you come on. Get back where you're supposed to be, John. Put your heart back in my hands. Put your life back in my hands. Trust me. 
I'm calling you back to that right now, church. I know it's tricky. I know it's confusing. I know some of you right now, your hearts are in bad places because just like Jesus said, that seed goes out and when it finds ground that's soft and prepared, it takes root instantly. And sometimes in life, that's exactly where we are. But then also the cares of this world can harden our hearts so that when the seed of God hits it, it doesn't take root like it's supposed to. It doesn't make it any less true. We just find our hearts in these funky places all of a sudden. And you can't change your heart. All you can do is say to God, here's my heart. Move in my heart. Soften my heart. Open my eyes and my ears again. God, rescue me from the cares of this world. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary, heavy burdened, laid down with the cares of this world, and give me those cares. And I'll give you my yoke. Because my burden is easy and light, the Lord says. Give me what's weighing you down. What's slowing you down. Give me what's keeping you from moving forward. Give me what's pulled you to the side. Give me what's consuming your mind. Give me what you can't control. Give me what's producing fear. Give me your finances. Give me your spouse. Give me your children. Give me your country. Give me your church. Give me your friends. Give me your problems. Give me your hopes. Give them to me. And let me give mine to you. You're carrying something that's just too heavy. You're not supposed to. It's not your place. You weren't designed for it. Jesus who created you knows exactly what you can carry. What you're called to. Why you're here. And he's offering the good exchange today. Give me what's killing you and let me give you my life. And the answer to that, it should be simple. Okay, deal. <laughs> but sometimes we're like, okay, let me just try a little bit longer. Let me see if I can balance it a little bit better. Let me see if I can figure it out. Nope. Come unto me. So I, in the first service, I, I didn't do this, but I feel like the Holy Spirit is... If that's you and you just say, Pastor, <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't, we don't have to identify that. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. You know, and God knows. And if you're just like, Pastor, I need Jesus to take this. I just... I don't want this anymore. And I need the life that he faithfully promises. I came to bring life. 
And if you're just like Pastor John, remember me this morning when you pray. I need God to do this for me. Would you just slip your hand up right now? Just pray for me, Pastor. I'm just going to wait a second. It's many, many of us. If you want in on this prayer, John, pray for me today. Slip your hand up right now. It's just an act of faith. Just to respond to God. Father, you see every hand and every heart. You see those whose hearts are in a good place and ready, and you see those whose hearts are so heavy right now. And they don't feel like they're going to make it. And the enemy doubles down. Quit. Just stop. Just be unfaithful. It doesn't matter. Who cares? It'll be fun. Jesus, help us right now. God, cut the liar off from our life and speak your truth over us again. Stop the demonic from just constantly harassing and bring the peace of God that passes all understanding right now. God, we trust you. God, we believe you. God, we put our faith in you. Father, help us today. Don't let us walk out in the place of burdened. Let us walk out in the place of the exchange. Our heaviness for your life. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being good to us today. And seal us with this word right now, with your word. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you and I bless you.